myself, my name is Oh, H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OC. I guess even back then you could call me CEO of the ROC. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I beat up music man's number one supplier. Flying in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right. Oh, oh, not DOC, but similar to the letters. No one. Play it day one with Game Pass. Hey guys, Stingray Rob here. We're at Thermal for spring training with the IndyCar series, and it's pretty nice. <laughs> in 2022, I finished second in the Indy Next series. Stingray Rob is now a winner in Indy Lights. And that created an opportunity for me to move up into IndyCar, and we were able to join on with Rick Ware and Dale Coin Racing. I gotta say, the 51 car feels pretty good.
It's only day two with the team, but I feel like we're working really well together. We still need to get some systems in place, but that's all part of the fun. And that's why we're here at spring training, create a baseline that we can work from. Day one, it seemed like that was kind of the main idea was finding a rhythm. Day two is just working on the little details and then figuring out what I need from the car to go faster. What do you want to accomplish in this last session? I want to go fast, that's for sure. We need to close the gap to the front guys, and I think we can do that. We're on the right track. You know, ever since I was a little kid, I've wanted to be an IndyCar driver, so now stepping up to that level and getting to see some of the legends and heroes of where I've wanted to be, it feels a little bit surreal. I'm still waking up every morning, pinching myself. I'm just a small town Idaho kid, but I get to live my dream out, and it's very exciting to do so. And to see those guys in person and have them greeting me, it means a lot. I got to have a conversation with Max Pappas, and one of the things that he told me was is that every single driver here has speed in them, but as a rookie, you have to wait for it to come out. As you develop, you get the confidence, you get the experience, you get that toolbox, and that allows you to go quick on the track. It's there, you have the ability. You just gotta work on the little details here and there and remember what you're capable of. St. Pete is one of my favorite tracks in the world. I mean, it's crazy to be starting on a street course first race of the year, as a rookie, you're just looking to survive. St. Pete creates those good opportunities so I can gain my confidence in making moves with other drivers. They obviously have their experience, but I need to learn a lot from them. Thanks all for tuning in, and we'll see you for race one at St. Pete. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circus program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about everything racing. Uh, first off, I want to thank uh, Xbox and Forza Motorsport for sponsoring us. Uh, you saw that clip ahead of the time. That thing is going to be free for Game Pass users coming up soon. And that's a, just a great game. So definitely look into that. Joining me on the panel today, I've got Richard Uden, Levi, and Luis Torres. Fellas, how are you guys tonight? Good, thanks. I'm good. I'm excited. Yep. Well, we're still in March. It's still March Madness out here. Still March Madness out here. Absolutely. <laughs> so we've got a very special guest in with us today. I've got uh, NTT IndyCar Series race car driver Stingray Rob um, right right in here with us live as we speak. He's a rookie this year, rookie of the year candidate. Um, Stingray, first off, congratulations on your promotion to the IndyCar Series. That is the the lifelong dream of every young racer to make it to the top tier of motorsports. So, uh, I mean, congratulations on the job. Well done there. And, uh, and welcome. And how are you tonight? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on the show. And like you said, it is a lifelong dream. I'm still pinching myself trying to figure out if this is real or not, but it's pretty good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm just enjoying life now. We're in between races. We go to Texas on April 2nd. So, um, just getting ready. Preparation is key in IndyCar. So, trying to make the difference off the racetrack so that when we arrive, we're, we're ready to go. All right, fantastic. Now, I'm sure I would talk about off air that the first question you're always asked is, is Stingray your real name? Because, uh, but but I, I know that it is, but uh, it, it's your story, so I'll let you tell it really quick, and, and then, then we'll talk about some straight-up racing stuff. But uh, go, go ahead and share the story of the origin of the name Stingray. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a standout name. Most people don't really think it's uh, the true name until I pull out my license plate and I say, hey, it's my <laughs> real name. Look at this. Um, but the story goes, my parents were big Corvette fans. And so they decided to name me after the Stingray Corvette. 
the longer story is that both of my grandfathers had Ray in their name. And then uh, to further that, my dad's side of the family was heritage is from Stirlingshire, Scotland. And so in, in Scotland, Stirling is shortened to Sting. And so Sting is actually short for Stirling. And then both my grandpas had Ray. And so Sting, Ray, plus the Corvette, here I am, now a race car driver. Worked out pretty well. Yeah, it worked out Fantastic. great. Yeah, so, yep, because that is, like we're talking about, that is a, a classic race car name. So, but, uh, so you, you are uh, running with Dale Coyne and Rick Ware. And I'll tell you, I, I, I'm old enough to, I remember Dale Coyne when he was driving. And that's before, like, you and Louise and Richard were born. Uh, but Lee oh. remembers. <laughs> or maybe you were around, Richard. Yeah, Richard, you're it's only a few. You it's only a few years, like three, only a four few years. years. Yeah, but uh, the thing I like about the Coin team is that this is a team that, while they're classified as a smaller team, they consistently, uh, you know, to use a boxing term, they consistently punch above their weight, and they have that potential to. Right. I mean, they have as many race wins as, say, Ed Carpenter does, right? So, uh, so um, what's the um? What's your overall feeling being Dale Coyne? Are you are you, you feeling kind of comfortable with your engineers and stuff? Is it feeling like home for you yet? I know the season just kind of just started. Yeah, it's definitely getting better. You know, we're pretty limited on track time. It's it's not like the old days where you could go out and put 60 days in the car in the off season. Uh, now you get three. <laughs> and those three days, <laughs> you got to make count. So um, I was pretty fortunate to, to get those three days close to when the season started. Um, but I mean, from Laguna Seca in September as the finale race to testing in January, that's a lot of off time. So that's a lot of time away from the seat and not knowing what you're doing. So I, I've just been working on developing that relationship uh, with my engineer and, you know, assistant engineer and DAG and Dale and everyone involved in the team. And that's kind of the joy of being with a smaller team, you know, and like you said, Dale Coyne's team, they hit it above their weight class for sure. And I think part of that is that they operate so efficiently within their package. Um, and Dale, he's been around, around racing for a long time, like you said. And uh, that allows him to have a lot of knowledge and experience to pull from and kind of guide the team in a way that he knows is going to lead to some success, even with fewer resources. So I definitely feel like I'm in a good spot now as a rookie. Um, my teammate is David Malukas, and he was a rookie last year, kind of going through the same ladder system that I did. You know, finishing second in the Indy Lights Championship in 2021, he stepped up last year and did pretty well, um, finishing on the podium at Gateway and had some good, good, strong results here and there. So uh, I think that that just goes to show what what we're capable of. I think that as we develop the car around the two of us drivers that have a similar driving style and the team's working well together and we're developing more of a co cohesive program, it's just going to keep getting better and better. In fact, so you already answered my second question. I was going to ask you about your teammate David Malukas. So I think you're I think you're reading my mind there a little bit. So uh, I guess you got. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can read my mind. It's like a short story. Come on, but um, <laughs> but anyway. So uh, now when we talk about guys coming out of the light series, right? Uh, now the light series has been kind of up and down lately. I mean, there was even a time the fields were so small that guys like uh, Colton and Potter weren't even eligible to get um, uh, super license points for uh, for doing well in lights because the fields were small. But now we're up to a larger field there. But as I look at the guys that have come out of Indy Lights, right, you got a couple of, like you figure, like a Scott Dixon or a Joseph Newgarden are probably two of the most successful IndyCar drivers to have come out of lights. And if you look at currently, Pato and uh, Colton are certainly – on that path to be uh, bona fide stars, but there's a whole bunch of guys in between there 
who've had IndyCar careers that have uh, started with promise and just kind of fizzled. And it's a pretty long list. You, you know, talking about, you know, Matthias Leist, Ed Jones, Spencer Piggott, Oliver Askew, Gabby Chavez. So what's, um, what pitfalls do you try to uh, avoid or what, what can you kind of learn from uh, uh, looking at the guys that are successful and, and, and maybe the guys that, that not so much that, uh, and how do you try to try to pattern that to, uh, Try to ensure yourself a nice long career, and I know nobody knows the future, but uh, certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there are a lot of guys, and I think it's going to be the way that IndyCar operates, right? Because it is such a tough field of drivers, so there's no room for fluff, right? There's no room for that that driver that might be good enough, might not be good enough. So um, you got to be something special to make it into the IndyCar series. And you know, one thing uh, that I was told by Max Pappas at the beginning of the season. Um, even before the first test at thermal, he, he pulled me aside and said, stingray, everyone in IndyCar has speed in them. They're all capable of driving fast, but as a rookie, you have to wait for it to come out. You have to develop and take it slow. And he said, some of the advice that he wished he had at a young age at the same place of career that I'm at now was that he wished someone would have told him just finish races, finish on the lead lap, finish all of the laps, because as a young driver, that experience that you get in the seat, finishing races and putting in that extra 40 or 50 laps rather than, you know, making a fast lap time and then crashing out early on is going to pay so much more in the long run because you're going to have more confidence. You're going to have more experience. You're going to be able to see more of the racing. You know, we look back at St. Petersburg, for example, first lap was chaos, but we were able to keep going. And that's not to say that was the end of the chaos. It continued the rest of the race. So that allowed me to see so much more and experience so much more. And I got to work on things like tire saving, fuel saving, uh, you know, arrow changes during the runs, pit stop practices. That's all stuff that I'd be starting over with at Texas. Um, having that experience now, I, I know what I'm looking for. I know what I need to improve on. I know what those, those details are that I, I need to focus on. So I think in the long run, in order to be successful, you got to be consistent. Um, and consistently bad doesn't pay the, pay the checks there, you know? So it's going to be consistently improving. And I think that Dale understands that as a driver, and that's why he picked David and I, because he, he saw the potential and he knows that we're formable in this early stages of our career. So he can form us into the drivers that we need, need to be for him. And so that allows us to adapt in different ways and uh, not get stuck in the habits of, you know, our old driving style or of a tendency that we want the car to have. We can kind of follow what's necessary. You know, we're, we're malleable in a sense that allows us to be successful. All right. So you've, so you like, so you run at St. Pete. Uh, you did the test at Thermal, and recently you were testing up at Texas, were you not? Yep, All no, right, that's so yep, so you've got uh, three kind of very different different places where we've had um, some experience in the car, and I'm sure probably Texas is probably the fastest you ever had a driven a race car in your in your life so far, right? If I'm if I'm not mistaken, oh, yeah. it's probably by, yeah. by a long shot. That was the first <laughs> time I've ever been in a car and had my breath taken away by the speed. In fourth gear, I was already panicking. I'm like, this is too fast. <laughs> but it was wow. it was so amazing. The cars are so capable of, at that speed. I mean, if you look at the Indy 500, it seems ridiculous to even strap someone to the to the inside of that race car because it's ludicrous, right? They're they're rocket ships turned upside down and sent out for 500 miles. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. So, so stepping up from the lights car to the to the Indy car, what uh, what, what seems to be the biggest the, the biggest change, the biggest thing that you need to adjust to? 
You know, I think early on, I was worried more about the pit stops. That's not something that we've experienced mm. in the past. And so I think um, the team did a good job of just preparing me a little bit and having David gone through the same sort of transition last year, they knew what the tendencies were for a young driver to come in and uh, make a good stop. And, you know, one thing that they always say is for every six inches that you're out of that, that window, it's a half a second time loss for the guys on the, on the, off the pit wall. And so for a driver, you're, you're trying to nail that you're, you're going from 45 to zero and as short a time as possible and then park or parallel park in a spot that's the size of the race car. So there's no room for error. And so for me, like I, I'm doing my best to work with the team on what they need to see on the way into the pit box. You know, there's a, there's a tempo, there's a timing that they need to see. So they have the confidence to, to leap off the wall even before I'm stopped. You know, if they're waiting for me to get stopped and parked in the right spot, it's already too late. You know, they got to be anticipating everything that's happening before it happens. That way, when the car arrives, they're already in their position to, to make a tire change or a fuel or wing change, et cetera. Um, so amongst that, you know, the IndyCar series is unique in the sense because there's 27 really good drivers out there. And so in order to finish well, you have to have more than just raw speed. You can't just drive your way to the front. You got to be able to qualify well. You got to have a good strategy. You got to be able to last a series. Um, and, and especially with alternate tires on road courses and street courses, there's a lot that goes into how the car is going to be balanced from the alternate to the primaries. So I'm learning all that as we go. Um, and the ultimate speed is coming over over the course of the next few races, I'm sure. Just, just with the way I operate, I know mentally that no, I'm going to suck for the first few races as I get more experience and more knowledge of what, what to do and what the car's calling me to do, that that light switch is going to come on at some point and it's going to be game time. Yeah, but I think you've got a, an excellent mentor in a, in a Dale Coyne there who's uh, he's really shown over the years that he knows how to, he knows how to pick them. Uh, he's, he's really, uh, you know, given some really solid guys their uh, their first start in uh, in the IndyCar series so and and honestly if 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 I was a young driver and Dale Coyne wanted me to drive for him I would I would be honored uh, honestly you know but uh, then again I I I think quite a bit of Dale Coyne I think he's just uh he's been in the sport so so long he just commands a lot of respect for me I just really like the guy and um you know by 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 proxy uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for you because you're a coin guy. So uh, <laughs> really oh, looking I think forward it's to a good choice. Yep, absolutely. Choice. Yeah. So now Richard Lee, Louise, do you guys have any questions for Stingray you want to jump in with? I think I can ask about Texas a little bit more, of course. Absolutely. The talk, yeah. the talk about last year was about getting tire grip because of the compound from the stock car world that they put on there that has caused some concern in terms of how the product is going to be. You, have you learned from David in that regard that tire grip and it's going to be very vital? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that that's the the key to success around Texas. Um, you know, I was slightly unfortunate in the fact that it was just a rookie test. So there was only three of us drivers out on the racetrack, so there was not a lot of progression and the track level grip going up. Um, and so that PJ1 compound on the outside line is still very, very much a slippery surface. So I think that the, the series is going to do a good job, hopefully before the weekend to, you know, create sort of a second lane around there. But even then it's not a very wide second lane. You know, Texas is a super fast, uh, high bank speedway. And to be out there in an Indy car with super high downforce, there's no room for air. 
And I think for a lot of drivers, they expect to go out there and just be able to ride that high line. But if anything happens on that inside car to get a little bit of air wash up into the, the midline, it's too late. They've already uh, they caused that other car's day to end. So um, we saw it last year during the race. There's a lot of things that I think um, can be done to help that and mitigate that. And I think the series has done well, you know, adding a different aero package for this year slightly with uh, a floor change amongst other things. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like it was a good test in that sense, getting a feel for where the track's going to be and where that line's going to, going to lay on the racetrack as far as how high can you go. Um, and qualifying running is a completely different story than race running. You know, we'll, we'll find out when it comes time to get behind some traffic there. Yeah, Texas will be interesting. So I've got a question from the Facebook chat here, and it comes from Jeff. Jeff wants to know, where can I buy my Stingray merchandise? <laughs> okay, so and Jeff the IndyCar says Series. <laughs> oh, hello, Jeff. <laughs> Very good. Um, so the IndyCar Series has their merch website with uh, some of my 51 racing gear on there currently. And then we're actually in the process of designing some more T-shirts and sweatshirts, hats, etc. So... Um, IndyCar website is the only spot right now, but hopefully on my own website, we'll have some stuff soon. All right. Fantastic. And your, so your stuff will be available when we all get to the speedway in May should be in all the gift shops there. I hope so. I, I hope, hope so. so. Yeah, that's, that should be, that's uh that's the ultimate time of sale. You got a lot of people coming through the shops there buying gear. So, uh, uh, Richard, do you have a, do you have a question there, buddy? Yeah. Quick one for you. Um, first, thanks for coming on the show. It's, it's great when we get the drivers on and get your driver's perspective. But uh, one of the things you, you mentioned earlier there was, you know, you're you're in this rookie category now, and you know, you, you this is a learning process for you. You know, the, next, the first half of the season, at least, is just acclimatizing to to what's around you, this new environment, new car, new engineers, new team. And I'm sure there's always this balance. You know, I to to me in the last twenty years, you know, you, you look at something like Scott Dixon is 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 a fantastic example, and and I'm sure Scott will admit himself he hasn't always been the fastest guy out there when he's won championships, but he's been so efficient at picking up the second, third, fourth, fifth place finishes that win him the championships and just checking off those points, you know, week by week. Um, you know, that I'm sure for, for, you know, something like yourself is a, you know, real, real sort of benchmark. And then you see other guys who have arguably been faster, but not, you know, maybe had the success but everybody looks at them as this really fast, talented driver. And, and how do you sort of try and balance that expectation and, you know, that natural progression of just ticking off points and getting good finishes as opposed to the trying to set the blistering fast headline grabbing laps that everybody looks at? Yeah, I think it's very natural for a driver to want to be that blistering lap driver, right? Like that's why yeah. we're race car drivers. <laughs> that's what we live for is that that last one or even half a percent that no one else can get, you know, that last 10th, that last two tenths, that's what, that's what really, really is what drives us mentally, I think. And I, I love the feeling. I mean, I, I've said it all along that in go-karts and cars, everything, it's that last, whatever it is, that last little light bulb that comes on and you're just able to, to drive without thinking it's subconscious, it's natural, it's intuitive. Yeah. Um, and so I think that we're all pursuing that and it's, it is actually, uh, more difficult job to tone it back to what you're talking about, like with Dixon to a level that's like, for example, Will Power. Will Power is a great example of this. Last season, when he won the championship, he said that he worked on himself mentally during the off season so that he could be more consistent through the season. And because of those consistent results and not the big dive bombs or the, 
the sending it off the racetrack or just the risky moves, he was more accountable in that sense of just bringing the car home. You know, don't don't throw it away trying to gain one extra spot. Um, so I think for me, I, I'm definitely more of the uh, I won't say conservative, but play it play the long run, be yeah. consistent. You know, I'll, I'll pick up the seconds and the thirds plenty of times before I'm going to get a win. Um, and I think that that's going to play, pay big dividends in the long run. And that's kind of the process now, you know, like I said, everyone in IndyCar is there for a reason. They're all yeah. really, really, really good, talented drivers. I mean, you got, I don't even know how many Indy 500 winners on the grid now, championship winners, race winners, uh, pole setters. So it's just like, you look around the paddock and there's no room to, to make a mistake. And so it's just like, what do I need to develop myself, be honest with myself and then work from there? Um, you know, if I don't know what my flaws are, I'm not going to improve. So I have to figure out what those things are and then I can go to work on them with the team. Yeah. And it, it, it's difficult as well, you know, and it's not just in racing, you know, any, any sport, any professional sport, you know, to, to be, as you say, that honest about yourself is quite difficult to do, isn't it? Because, you know, in modern society often sees honesty as weakness in a way, which is a horrible way of looking at it. But you know, you've got to do that. You, you know, you, and I've worked with some young drivers and, you know, the ability for them to take a step back and go, you know, this is an area I need to improve on. This is an area that I can find time on it, it, is invaluable, but it's almost doing that. And, you know, away from the spotlight, away from the limelight. And I think some of yeah. the guys that have come through the IndyCar series, series recently haven't had the opportunity. They've been thrust into the limelight and, you know, they're as fast as anybody, but it, it, it's a struggle for them to actually, achieve their end goal because you know if they suddenly start thinking that fifth's a good result people start questioning them yeah absolutely i think you nailed it you know one of the things that i think a lot of drivers look at is that standard who is that standard and i think for this generation of drivers we can probably look to max for stopping right he yeah. came out of cards right away and was winning championships and was the red bulls number one driver and i think that 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 kind of drove a little bit of some craziness into the current level of drivers that are, they're almost desperate. Right. And that level yeah. of desperation is not productive. And so for me, like, I don't feel that desperation. There's gotta be some sort of humble confidence that you have as a driver of like, okay, I've put the work in away from the track so that when I show up, I either know what I need to work on, or I, I know that I can work on it. You know, you have to, to be recognizing those things constantly and adapting and, and seeing what those variables are that you can control but sometimes you just can't control him. You know, I think a lot of people look at Max Verstappen and they're like, oh, he's a natural talent. He he went very few races straight to the top. And it's like, you didn't see all the work he put in. I mean, that's thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. And uh, there's yeah. actually a great book that I, I read when I was younger. My dad and I would be on the road trips to karting events and whatnot. And we got it on audiobook. Uh, but it's called The Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And it talks about the 10,000 hour rule. And you have to spend 10,000 hours doing anything it is that you're doing in order to be great at it. So whether it's flying a plane, cooking, mopping, um, building a racetrack, being an architect or driving a race car, you got to put that time in before you can be great at it. And so as fast as you can do that, the better, but you got to do it efficiently. You know, you, you don't want to practice being bad at it because that's what you're practicing for. So practice being great, get yeah. the, get the basics right. And it's going to carry you further. Even if it takes a little longer, that, that yeah. 10% further that it will take you is going to be worth it in the long run. Yeah. And it's so hard because, you know, it's, it's, and, it, and again, it, it, it's like all sports, but I think racing is one of the prime examples because the fans don't see what you do. You know, if you take like a basketball player, or a football player, or whatever, they see your, 
physically active, you know, they see the guy running around a field or a court or whatever. And so they expect, well, that's the training part of it. They'll just do the same thing repetitively during the training. But people don't see that about race car drivers. They don't see the hours that they'll put into a gym or the hours they'll put into a simulator um, to, to get to where they are. And I think that's a real shame. And I think, I think it's something that the marketing side of every major motorsport could do. You know, NASCAR and IndyCar, especially. I mean, NASCAR is the prime example. You know, they, they look at the NASCAR thing. Well, oh, they don't do anything. You know, they just sit there and drive a car for five hours. How hard can that be? But, you know, Toyota, we've got the Toyota Performance Center where all the drivers are. And those guys are in there at 6 a.m. They're there for hours with dietitians, nutritionists, sports scientists, psychologists, all this sort of stuff. And in a way, I really wish that these sports would start to push that side of it as well to really give a an understanding of what you guys go through on a daily basis because 90 percent of the fans don't have any clue absolutely and it's not just physical it's the mental side as well yeah you know we're making split split second decisions on the track but you also have to make the right calls off the track you know we're we're working with our engineers hand in hand to try and figure out which direction to push the car which direction do we take the balance of the car so that when we get on the track it's doing what we want it to do so there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that it takes to to get out and be yeah. fast. Yeah, I really wish they they push that more. I mean, I would say, as an engineer, I would say that naturally, but you know, <laughs> I really wish that you know that the, the these TV shows, these documentaries that are now surfacing about these sports would really sort of open people's eyes to it because I think it's a whole aspect of the sport that um, that really doesn't get coverage that it deserves. Absolutely. Yeah, Lee, do you have anything you want to jump in with? Yeah, uh, quick question. First of all, thanks for joining us tonight. So it's just such a it's such a moment to be sitting here talking to a, like a race car driver on the indie circuit. Never thought in a million years I'd be doing this, but thanks for joining us. Um, so we talk about like there's big term goals. You obviously want to win a race, get to the podium. What are some of your small term goals this season? Like uh, you talked about the ten thousand hour thing, um, ten thousand laps. You, do do you want to be on you know finish all the laps what are some of your small term goals for this season to help get you you know to that to that win yeah i i think a big goal for this year is to be rookie of the year you know there's four of us vying for that but you know i have got recent experience with my teammate being in that same position last year so i think that it goes to show we're we're capable of doing that just got to get all the variables right so um that's definitely on the table and i think as, as a smaller more uh, short-term goal, it will be to finish all the laps and all the all the upcoming races. You know, I think Max Pappas put it perfectly to me. He said, for the next four races, don't even worry about ultimate lap time. Just worry about finishing the lap and not making mistakes. Just get your pit stops right. Don't crash. Don't, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I didn't do a great job with this at St. Pete. You know, that lap one incident was pretty crazy. So there wasn't much to avoid there, but we kept going. And so I think that, you know, we're we're achieving some of those goals of just, getting that experience in as quickly as we can and uh, to build that relationship with the team. You know, I think the the more I do that, the more in tune I am with what they need from me, the better I'm going to be on the racetrack. Awesome. All right. Thanks. So, all right, Richard, Louise, you got anything else? Yeah, I'm I good could go on now. all day, but uh, I no, know we... you could go on all day. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we don't have all day. So, and, and so, and so could I, but I don't, you know, I don't want to dominate the interview. I, you know, I want to make sure you guys get your, uh, get your, so go ahead, Louise. Uh, well, I think the one other question that I bring up is that I think I mentioned this in the feature piece that I wrote about you earlier this month that I think it'd be neat to bring up in this, 
in this podcast form, live video and all, it's just the importance of having family members supporting you and guiding you. I think what you mentioned in that article with me was was very very neat. So how influential is to have the family members be supporting you in your racing venture? Yeah. No, I think I remember that article and uh it, it's very important. You know, I think that was the difference between me being in the car this year versus Linus Lundquist. You know, you look at the opportunities that he might have had last year had he had the same team around him as I did, but because he didn't have that family and uh team around him to get him in that seat, he hasn't have the the same position that I'm in now. Um and then even on track, you know, I, I've had my parents and grandparents at almost every single race I've ever been to in my entire career. You know, my dad has missed one race ever. And it was because he was in the hospital trying not to die. So, and he was still on the phone every 30 minutes excuse. calling us, telling us yeah. to, you know, check the tire pressures, check the engine temp. What gear do you have on the cart? And so he was still chewing us out every chance he could to get it, to get it right. And so that just goes to show you like how much my whole family has been supportive and how much they care. And it's taught me a lot as well. You know, I think that because I had them, you know, on, on the same side as me all the time that it taught me how to work as a team. You know, when someone made a mistake, it wasn't like I was pointing fingers at some guy that was a mechanic that we hired for the weekend. It was, it was my dad or my grandpa. So if the, if the engine blew up or the engine fell off or a tire fell off, we didn't have to look very far to see whose fault it was, but it allowed us to, to work better and get better as a team. And I think that taught me a lot about, you know, being a, not, a, I won't say that I'm a team leader at Dale coin, but like a, a team member that can help direct the direction that we want to go, you know, be, be an influence that is positive and also forgiving and give a little grace every once in a while. Cause we're human. And I, I would like the same as a driver, you know, we're, we're going to go for a move and it might not pay out, but you know, the, the team's got to rely on me and I got to rely on them. So we're just going to keep getting better because of that. Yeah. Pragmatism is a very underrated uh, mindset mm -hmm. yeah. in, uh, in motorsport. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So now so one, Stingray, one other one other quick question for you. Coming out of St. Pete, you mentioned, you know, wasn't lap one was a tough one. Looking back at St. Pete, what was one of the biggest learning lessons that you that you brought out of St. Pete that uh you know think you're gonna help it's gonna help you this year? Well, I didn't do my first run on alternate tires until the end of the race there. So I definitely learned a lot with that. Um, but also just with fuel management, because I was running on my own and we were trying to get a, a lap back compared to the leaders, um, I got to work on fuel saving a lot. And so how do I s save a lap time and save fuel? Um, and so a lot of that was developed because I was on the track by myself. You know, I didn't have anyone around me. I was on my own in clean air, just working on things that I couldn't probably have learned in traffic in the middle of a race. So I was kind of thankful, honestly, that we had that situation where I was able to just get a lot of laps in a row, trying different things and working on different things. And we got pretty good at it. You know, we, we hit some fuel numbers that were pretty staggering considering the pace that we had. Um, and especially under caution, you know, under caution, there was a lot of that at St. Pete. Uh, so I got a lot of practice at it, but you know, those little things that make a difference because that one extra lap that you might be able to do might be able to save you a, a pit stop at the end of the run or uh, catch a, uh, sorry, a caution properly at the right time. And so just all those little details, all those little tools you can put in the engineers or strategist toolbox throughout the race just creates more opportunities to move forward in the field.
All right. Let's, now, I wanted to ask you, this, take, take a look at the uh, the schedule here. Obviously, you, you know, you've got the Indy 500 coming up. So, you know, I, I know everybody looks forward to that, and that's going to be that's going to be a great moment in your career. But other than Indianapolis, uh, you know, when you kind of look at the schedule, what's uh, what's one of the, the tracks you're most uh, forward uh, looking to compete on? Oh, man. Uh, let's see. The next race is Texas. So I'm going to say that one. And the one after that is Long Beach. <laughs> and the one after that is Barber. No, I'm just kidding. You'd be able to um, get a NASCAR am... drive with responses like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really am. I don't think that there's one on the list that I'm not excited about. Uh, because it's IndyCar racing, man. Like, I don't know how much more exciting can it get. The racing yeah. is incredible. Um, but I think the ones that I'm probably most excited for are the ones that I've had success on in the past. One of those being Laguna Seca. Mm -hmm. um, I know they got to repave this year, so I'm excited to see what that's like. It was getting a little rough and a little bit abrasive for for the tires over a long run there last year, at least in the Indy Next series. So um, I'm excited to see what that'll do for, for changes this season. Um, Portland is one just because it's close to my hometown. I say close, it's about a six-hour drive, but it's <laughs> as close as we're going to get to pay at Idaho. Um, but it just, it's nice to have friends and family out there that are willing to come out and support. And, uh, you know, long beach is one that I I've been to and I've watched and I can't wait to get out on the track. I mean, that, that's a classic, um, vintage, uh, historical track that I think we may not see for, for too much longer. I don't know how long it's going to be around, but I hope it's around forever. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I've got another question from our Facebook chat coming from Jeff again. Now, Jeff, Jeff is making reference to the fact there's a lot of folks uh, talking about, uh, you know, Lena's Lundqvist not getting uh, the ride after winning the championship. And some folks have, uh, oh, I, you know, referred to you as a pay driver or, or bringing funds to the team. And uh, I'll just I'll just tell you briefly what my thought on, on so-called pay drivers is. But I, I firmly believe that uh, the ability to make um uh, business partnerships uh, and raise funds is uh, a skill every driver should learn from a young age. And it's every bit as important as learning how to save your tires or save your fuel. Uh, but Jeff says that uh, your team is looking for the whole package. So um, what he's saying is that what kind of advice would you give a, a young uh, driver aspiring to be on the path that you're on when it comes to uh, being able to secure the ride when you're ready? Yeah, uh, that's a tough question because there's a lot that goes into it and it cannot be up to the driver alone. You know, mm -hmm. like I said, it takes a team of people, a village to get anyone to this level. Um, and so for me, I was pretty blessed to have the parents that were willing to give that that support all the way through the ranks. And so early on in my career, my my parents spent all the money that they could and could afford to on my go-karting career. And so they they owned a small grocery store during the summer. Uh, when I wasn't at school, I would go work in between races. You know, I was throwing freight on the shelf and working hard to try and help them out as much as I could. And uh, then on the race weekends, they would hop in the truck and they'd drive me to and from races. So without that support, I wouldn't have even made it to a racetrack, let alone done it consistently and been successful at it. And so I think like the biggest thing that I can tell anyone is just get a good group around you. Find the people that you want to learn from. Um, this is in, in life, forget racing. Like it, there's a key to success in life. And that's like, who are your five best friends or who are the people that you spend the most time with? That's who you're going to be like. And so if you want to be the best race car driver, surround yourself with great talents, great engineers, great me mechanics, great experienced people 
and maybe they're not the most successful, but they have something that you can learn. And so for me, like that was very important early on, um, was like, who can I learn the most from? And then when it came time, like on the funding side of things, we had the right people step into place. You know, my manager is Peter Rossi and his son is Alexander Rossi. And they use a similar program to get him to IndyCar the way that I have. And so that program got, you know, handed to us essentially through Peter as my manager. And it allowed us to utilize it as a tool to, to work my way up through the ranks. And without that, I wouldn't have made it anywhere. All right, fantastic, man. Good, good advice. Good advice. So, um, yeah, we are just about out of time for the interview segment. So, I do want to allow you to go ahead and uh, let our uh, viewers know where they can uh, find you on social media, where they can find uh, your website, and um, yeah, you know where where they can learn more about you or you know buy that merchandise when the time comes. Yeah, there you go. Well, the merchandise is coming about. It's going to be on my website at stingrayrob.com. Um, and then if you guys want to follow along in the series, our races are broadcast on NBC Sports or the Peacock TV app, as well as the Indy 500 will be, will be broadcast all over the world in different locations. But uh, yeah, follow along there. Our next race is April 2nd at Texas Motor Speedway. And then if you want to follow me, my handles on all the social media, so, social medias, blah, blah, blah. I can't talk to you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's at Stingray Rob. Pretty simple. And I think my Twitter is a little different. It's at Sting underscore Ray underscore Rob. Right. And that's Rob with two Bs, Sting Ray Rob. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Sting. I really wish you the best. You got Texas coming up soon, Long Beach after that. Um, and Texas, that's going to be – that's just going to be something else. I mean, that's like nothing you've done in a lights car <laughs> when you get all those cars on the track. So. Amen. I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to so uh so hopefully uh you'll come back and join us maybe uh, at the end of the season uh where we can cra- congratulate you on your rookie of the year honors uh, that we're all pulling for you to win so um uh but again i appreciate your time and thank you so much and uh keith you wanted to go ahead and take us to a commercial and then we'll uh, we'll be back with a regular state uh, regular programming and again thank you thank you thank you right. yeah thank you guys thank you, thank you, thank you.
And we're back, uh, back to the drafting the circus program. Uh, that was Stingray Rob. Uh, I mean, follow him in the NTT IndyCar series this year. So let's uh, let's talk about this past weekend in racing. And uh, now, Richard, um, all your folks over there at Toyota, you've got uh, you got an exciting announcement. You got the GR86 uh, car that has uh, hit the track for the first time recently, and that'll be a yep. new new series in the a new class in the SRO. So tell us a little bit about that. Give, give it a plug. Yeah, so uh, GR86 is uh, Toyota's smallest um, <clears throat> commercial vehicle that is, is available to the public. Uh, a, a, a small Supra, for want of a better word, small sports car. Um, and just over a year ago, uh, TRD management decided that they were going to make a uh, single make series out of this car to start in 2023. So in rapid timeline of development for this vehicle. Um and yeah, week uh, next weekend, so the weekend of the first, second of April, uh, we'll be in Sonoma with 30, I think 32 of these cars, uh, all produced and manufactured by uh, TRD here in, in Mooresville in North Carolina. Uh, been a phenomenal effort by a very, very small, but very, very talented group of engineers and technicians to, uh, to get this all together. Um, we had our launch day about a month ago down at the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway where the teams came, collected their cars and had an opportunity to drive it around the NASCAR track for uh, the first time. Since then, we've had sporadic testing by the teams throughout the country and uh, yeah, ramping up for, uh, for the launch of the series uh, in, uh, in what, about 10 days from now. Uh, I'll be heading out to Sonoma on Monday to support that. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a great little car. It's the entry level to professional racing, should we say? Um, you know, it's above club racing. These are these are you know these are one hundred twenty five thousand dollar cars, so they're a serious investment. But we've got some big teams at this level of GT racing involved, um, and they're, they're going to be going out there and uh, they're going to be using it as drive development for their own program. So. You know, you start off in the GR86 Cup, you progress into the Supras, and then you put, you know, the GT4 car and potentially GT3 and above. So it, it, it's a really, really good, fun, drivable car. Um, all the cars are start off equal anyway, I'm sure. After a few bumps and scrapes, they won't be quite so equal. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been a great achievement by, by Toyota uh, to, to get these to the track in an incredibly compressed uh, time period. We've been working with some great partners on this. And uh, yeah, really, really excited for what uh, for what we're going to be seeing over the rest of the year. There's seven race weekends, 14 races in total, total purse of over a million dollars. So there's some you know, serious competition involved in this. This isn't uh, you know this is this is um, you know professional racing at, at its best. And uh, yeah, we're proud of what we've achieved and looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how how they look on the track and how they perform. Um... So let's uh, let's talk about uh, Atlanta, and uh, certainly the most uh, story of the weird uh, is coming out of the Xfinity race. I mean, you know, the two weird stories coming out is number one, evidently, uh, you know, Keselowski doesn't lock the bathroom door when he goes in. Um, but <laughs> it's lucky uh, that Tony Stewart wasn't around to do it like he did. Yeah, at yeah. I mean, like I don't I don't know why that's national news, but the the story from the Xfinity race is really interesting. Keith, do we have that clip? Of the Josh Williams, yeah, getting ready to load it oh up. My so, uh, oh my goodness! So here's a guy. Well, we're we're looking at um, Ryan Seed, uh, and uh, he's currently running series, fourth. Josh but that's Josh Williams. And, uh, 
pretty much. He was the, asked because uh, I told you to go to the garage for extending the caution that the debris caution. came off his car. And a piece of he debris has parked came his off number ninety-two, uh, which was essentially start finish line. A piece of tape, right? And really, when it comes down I mean, to he, it, he's uh, walking to the caution, so they told him that ends his day to the garage. Look uh, at this. This is not to be ridiculous, though. In his moment of defiance. He just parked it on the start finish line and walked out of the car <laughs> and waved to the crowd. Um, uh, honestly, I've never seen anything like this before. Obviously, he was called to the haulers and he's been suspended for a race. But um, wow, I mean, uh, so uh, Louise, what I mean, what's your take on this? I think if uh, if I just kind of think about it myself, uh, it is a little bit of a ridiculous rule to park the guy for that. Because it's so cold. Does not, it does not surprise me that he's been banished. The moment he got out of the car to where he positioned himself, it's like, yep, he's gone. He's gone for a, for a while. But fortunately for him, it's a week because it's more of a safety issue because you're at a hot track and you walk out like that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And prolonging it. I'm surprised the NASCAR didn't even miss red flag to race because sometimes they're very trigger-happy when it comes to red flags sometimes or cautions, but yeah. in this case... They didn't do it yeah. for that cat at Atlanta, did they? Fontana. Well, that surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was towards the end of the yeah. stage, but I was all I was way, way far away from where that whole thing happened. I think I was at entering turn one, trying to get different shots of the race. But that's besides the point. But for Williams, point, yeah. yeah. But for Williams, it's just a it's a tough situation where he's dealing with because he said it to I think the officials in the AMR safety team that. It's one of those instances that he's not a well-made man financially. He's not like a Riley oh, Herbs yeah. mm -hmm. or yeah. those guys that yeah. has all that, that millions of dollars worth if they do that, it, it won't affect him. Fortunately for him, it's, that it's only a suspension. He's not going to lose points. He ain't fine for it, I think. It takes Mello out hours and hours after the race because he couldn't get out of the holler until the head people, the head officials, would talk to him about it. But the, def the thing for him is that a year ago for Williams, he was in a difficult situation because he left DGM, the team that he drives for now, mm -hmm. to go for BJ McLeod. And he struggled to put that 78 car into some races. He struggled horrendously. That uh, Here's a guy that was doing really good, out driving his equipment from time to time for Mario Goslin, goes to McLeod, struggles, missing races, and then he went back to DGM where he performed better. Missing a race like Coda may may not be as impactful because it's a road course, but the question will remain, will he be eligible for a waiver? There's so many ramifications, but if anything, a lot of people recognize who he is. Now he's getting a lot of followers for it. Oh, so sure, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's going to yeah. become a fan yep. favorite over time. But the yeah, rule but just, itself just, is yeah, just, just a the hard initial, line. Yeah, the initial penalty is a really hard line, and I understand the guy's upset because literally, so you're – you know, by you're reducing this guy's finishing position by pulling him out of the race, which is directly taking money out of his pocket, you know, uh, for something that that really is very minor, just a small piece of tape or, or whatever. What, what do they call it, Richard? The. The sand, what, what do they call Barabond. it? Barabond. Yeah, Barabond. Yep. Uh, which is essentially tape. Right. And, you know, yeah, very, very, tape. very sticky tape. That's pretty, pretty. Yep. Um, well, not sticky, not sticky enough to stay in the car, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, even if Fontana, like Gregson, had bare bonds and it was peeling off, and even the windshields were starting to peeling off too. So it's, I can understand that 
prolonging a yellow, but it's just a piece of... <laughs> well, I can understand where NASCAR is positioned itself because if that take goes to another driver's grill, it could impact their race. But they got to make it very clear to those people because otherwise you're going to have a similar problem with some short track in Hickory yeah. where the rules are very blurred. It's got to be specific, but sometimes they're not that way. Yeah, but, but I mean, either way, parking your car on a start-finish line is not really a smart move, but uh, certainly... Uh, you know, well, that's I probably, mean, the, probably the most coverage the guy's ever had in his life. So, yeah, I mean, nobody else could have pulled it off. The guy's got a mullet. I mean, that's the only <laughs> reason why it happened. Like that thing was, I mean, business in the front, party in the back, all the way. That thing was amazing. All right, that's so. That's the one take I didn't hear uh, all week on that. So, but let's uh, <laughs> let's turn our attention to the Cup race where we saw. Um, Joey Logano take uh, take another win. Joey just seemed to be on a roll lately. Um, the guy is good everywhere he goes, uh, and it was uh, he got the better of his old teammate on the last lap there. Brad Keselowski was having a, a really good run uh, with uh, with his team there, uh, but Joey was able to nip him right there at the end. We had a nice clean finish without a bunch of overtimes, which uh, is uh, nice to see every now and again in NASCAR. So uh, Joey Logano now, you know, the points leader. Um, you know, he won at the, uh, Coliseum. He's won here, won the championship last year. So, uh, yeah, Joey's, uh, looking like he's going to have another really great season this year. Yeah. It's looking pretty good for Logano so far. And that's just for when he was out front, nobody really could do much. Sure. You had a couple guys like Kaslowski and the Penske drivers make some noise, but with some help from Corey LaJoy and even what was it? Christopher Bell that really sealed the deal on what was a really dominant afternoon. It's just a question remains, can he continue that momentum? Yeah, well, it is a long season. We're really early in it, so. But uh, we are off to Coda next. Yep. Interesting. We have a couple of interesting guest stars at Coda. A couple of uh, ex-Formula One guys in there. I think we've got uh, Kimi Raikkonen is going to be at Coda, as well as, uh, was it uh, it, uh, Jensen Button? J.B. Yeah, yep, Jensen's yep, there. Yep. So uh, that'll be that'll be fun to watch. See how those guys do. But uh, anybody yep. care to take a pick for Coda before we start talking about Formula One? Because we are kind of fighting the clock here. Ooh. You guys go ahead go and I'll think Kimmy. about it. Okay. Lee, Lee's going to go with Kimmy because Kevin yep. Magnus is not entered. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is Jimmy Johnson. So. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna. I, uh, go I, I like. Uh, I like uh, Chase Elliott for this one. Chase Elliott uh, running. That's short. No, that's Jordan. That's what I mean, right? Actually, that's actually, Jordan Jimmy Taylor. Johnson, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson is racing this weekend. Ah, oh, he um, is. Yeah, you're right. He is, yeah, so, <laughs> I love uh, that one for you, Richard. Well, he was handed one road course win because Marcus Ambrose forgot the rules that one time. But that's besides the point. <laughs> this, this is this is true. Yeah, but I'll I'll. Uh, in all seriousness, I'll uh, I'll go with Kyle Larson on this one. I'm gonna and go with Almondinger. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, hard to pick against Almondinger on the road course. So uh, yeah, speaking of guys master. that it's speaking of guys that it's hard to pick against. So this year we um changed up our Formula One picks because we figured Max was gonna win all the races. So we decided to pick who would finish second. And um, guess what? Max finished second. So none of us picked Max to finish second. But. <laughs> So there you go. But it was it was indeed uh, Checo um, Perez who uh, who took the win. And it just shows that um, uh, Richard, like you said, 
this car seems to suit um, Perez better than last year's Red Bull, uh, where he's he's closer to closer to Max there. And of course, Max had to start back in 15th after some issues in uh, qualifying. Um, he again had some issues towards the end of the race where he really wasn't able to challenge uh, for the lead there, which, um, you know, kind of uh, upset him a little bit and, you know, caused some social media comments that uh, that he's being a big baby, should be happy with second. But, uh, I, you know, Max wants to win all the races, and here we are. He's he's already already failed at that test early on. So, Richard, let's talk about yeah. Saudi Arabia and those penalties after the race, which we did. Took, yes. took us a couple hours to figure out who finished third. Yeah. So it was a, a race that really didn't, I think, set Formula One off in the best light imaginable. But uh, you know, a couple of couple of comments really first. I thought it was a massively important weekend for Checo. Um, you know, especially in qualifying, Max in, in Q two had that issue where he had a drive shaft failure. So you know, Max was out of qualifying. Best he was going to do is qualify P fifteen. So then that ratchets up the pressure on Checo. You know, he has to go out there and execute and and get that pole now. The car is quick enough that he probably didn't have to put in a stellar lap to to ensure that pole position run, but he did pretty damn well to uh, you know he fended off Charles Leclerc who ended up with an engine penalty after after Bahrain and uh, Fernando Alonso ended up qualifying in P two, so massively important um, qualifying session for Checo really did everything that he was asked to, um, so that was that was a good solid performance by Checo. Then into the race. As we saw in Bahrain, we had this silliness, for want of a better word, where Fernando was aligned up. Actually, when you look at a head-on picture, he was considerably left in his starting grid slot compared to everybody else. But he wasn't massively out of line. I mean, if you look at somebody shared a, a picture of Seb Vettel from 2017 at one of the races where he's almost pointing at 45 degrees heading into the other car. Um you know, and I agree that the drivers need to be lined up sensibly, but I mean, Fernando wasn't massively out of his grid slot. And as we saw with with Ocon in the previous week, you know, there's there's penalties. You know, a little bit unfair, really. I mean, there's no real. If he's starting too far forward, I get it, but he was just you know nine inches, twelve inches to the left of his designated slot position. Uh, and then it just sort of, you know, Fernando got a great start, got ahead of Checo, which. Was you know maybe Checo's only poor poor performance of the whole weekend was that uh, performance off the line, but you know Checo they have that speed. Red Bull has that that straight line speed to to get past, and Fernando didn't really fight it. And then first round of pit stops, um, you know Fernando had to take that five second penalty, and they got the same penalty that uh, Ocon got in Bahrain in that the mechanics were touching the car during that five second window, which. The rule states they're not allowed to work on the car, and it's deemed in general that touching the car is considered working on it. But it all went backwards and forwards, and uh, they they did end up having handing Fernando a 10-second penalty at the end of the race. The other thing which I think left a very sour taste, not sour taste, that's the wrong word, controversial decision, I think, was the safety car that they threw for Lance Stroll's retirement. He had an engine failure of some sort, and the team told him to stop on track to protect the engine. He did everything he could to get out of the way. The car was 90% behind the barrier, facing in the opposite direction to the oncoming traffic. Uh, there was no need for any of the marshals to actually go out beyond the end of the barrier. They could have just literally dragged the car with the tractor they had in front of them and maybe thrown a virtual safety car at worst. I know in the, in the Formula 2 race earlier in the day, they had a car in a far more dangerous position and they just threw a virtual safety car. So... 
I think they really spoiled that race and in a way brought it back into Max's hands because, you know, he could take that pit stop and under the safety car, it, it, you know, compressed the pack, um, not taking anything away from Max's drive to, to finish P2. But it was, I, I thought that was a really silly safety car rule. I mean, if you're going to do that, just have a damn safety car every time somebody retires and turn it into cup racing. Or, you know, have a, have a competition, you know, have competition cautions and stage racing in Formula 1 if you're going to go to that level. It was, it was excessive. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous, to be honest yeah, that, with that, you. Yeah, that, that left a sour taste in my mouth on that one. Um, but then at the end of the race, you know, nobody knew what penalty Fernando had. There's obviously rumours on the radio that the, there was a penalty. He stretched out to a five-second lead over George Russell, who was in P4. Um, then it was announced after he'd been on the podium that he'd been demoted to fourth. Then it was announced again later that Aston Martin had appealed that and he got reinstated back into third. George was handed the trophy and they had to give it back and all this. And actually, you know, first George Russell, he turned around and said, well, Fernando deserves this. It's a stupid penalty and should never have been. Neither of the penalties were valid. So um, it's it's a very, it just, it was a bitty race and just left a sour taste in the mouth. You know, the FIA needs to do better with stuff like that. And they need to have clarification in the rules. And the problem is, you know, it's so close because you you want to you got this five second penalty and you want to work on the car as quickly as possible. So you, you're going to push the minutia to get that, uh, you know, the jack in place to 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 raise the car and all that sort of stuff. And it was just it was just silly and messy and bitty and could have so easily been avoided. It wasn't the best weekend for the FIA there for sure. No. Now, cool, Richard, quick question: Do you think they should yeah. FIA should implement something like with FIFA and soccer, where they have like the offline, where they kind of have like some three sixty effect, where they show like where is the okay line and see if they blend in right or not? Um, ooh. yeah, I, I think that <laughs> you mean for the lining on the start of the race. Yeah, for that, like have like some sort of angle where you can actually how you can actually see if they're in the safe zone or not. Yeah, I mean, I think they need to do something better because now with the halo and the, you know, these new, the, the tires with these ears, as they call them, uh, the aero pieces over the top of the tire, it's certainly, um, you know, the vision, the vision, the driver visuals out of the car is a lot, lot harder than it used to be. And, and the drivers have openly said they struggle to find how to, you know, to, to, to find the starting slot. And so anything that they can do to help that, because they have the, if you notice from the onboard shots, they have a, a yellow stripe coming out from the side of the grid slot, which the driver uses to line his tires up lateral, uh, sorry, vertically to the slot, but there's no lateral alignment. So anything that they can do to, you know, help the drivers there, I think is we, we're getting into that. You know, even maybe you, you probably couldn't, but you know, everybody's car's got a damn reversing camera with, you know, they put the damn roll hoop camera onto the driver's display. I mean, I know it sounds stupid, but, the technology is there to do that. Just do something that will allow the the drivers to line up on the grid a lot easier than they are, uh, because you know it's a silly penalty. It wasn't necessary, and it, it I wouldn't say it spoiled the race, but it, it created unnecessary confusion. All right, so guys, we are out of time. So uh, Lee, do we have a NHRA in action this weekend? This week coming up. Or? <laughs> Yep, we're in Phoenix this weekend. So All right, Phoenix this weekend. Cup's going to be in uh, Coda. Uh, Formula One has the week off, correct? Yep. Yep. And IndyCar Indy, Indy has doing. the week off. Yeah, IndyCar uh, comes back uh, April 2nd uh, in Texas. 
So uh, we'll look forward to seeing Stingray Rob there again. Thank you to our guest, Stingray Rob. Thank you to you, Lee. Thank you to Richard. Thank you to uh, Hoobazoo Radio Network, Sinister One Productions. Thanks to our producer, Keith Hayes. Thank you to Facebook Live, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, um, Spreaker, all those folks that carry us. And thanks most off to you folks that uh, tune in to watch tonight. We sure appreciate it. And we'll be back in a week and we'll talk some more. Until then, good night. Thanks for watching Drafting the Circuits. Make sure to follow Drafting the Circuits on Facebook, Spotify, Twitter, and YouTube. Drafting the Circuits is a co-Sinister One production.